Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear God's word for us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of the men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name's Gabe Coyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, why don't we begin with a time of prayer as we've just heard God's word read over us before we spend time walking through it together. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful that you've given us a place of warmth to meet today. In the midst of cold, when so many places require purchase to be present, when so many places require familial connection to be present, when so many places require affinity to be present, your church, the way you've designed her to be, is to be a place for all people coming with nothing but receiving everything. And we say thank you for this place. We say thank you for this community. We say thank you for your word that is at the center in shaping this people for your glory and our good. We pray, Lord, that at this moment you would speak to us afresh, speak through me, speak to each of our hearts through your word. We recognize, Lord, that you have promised your spirit would be among us when we gather in your name. We hold fast to this promise, not without doubt, but with deep anticipation. So God, now... We rest in that anticipation. We rest from our worries and our anxieties. We rest warm in your love. That was for us before we were for you and will be for us even in the spaces where we don't want you to be present for shame, for guilt, for what have you. But Lord, we trust you with all of us now. Speak to us afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, it's usually about this time each year where I think to myself, okay, <coughs> winter, that's enough. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anyone else can relate, but when you start to see negative, you know, in the wind chill factor, I was like, I didn't move to Kansas City for this. Um, some of you from Minnesota or South Dakota or North Dakota are like, this isn't even winter, this is summer. Well, congratulations to you. Because um, here's the deal, the cold at least at this point in the year, it no longer comes with the reminiscence of chestnuts roasting by an open fire. It's just cold, right? Like, uh, and staring you in the face simultaneously, if you haven't taken them down already, or all the Christmas decorations that you got out, and you're thinking, when am I going to put those away? Um, it's always harder to put that stuff away in the boxes than it is to get them out, because you think to yourself, how did all of these ornaments fit in that box? Like, that it doesn't make sense geometrically, spatially. And we hope when uh, this Tuesday rolls around, this Tuesday evening, we're going to try to put some of these Christmas decorations back in boxes. I hope you'll join us Tuesday evening. I'm sure you'll hear more about it in our announcements coming up. But here, think about this. Just for a couple weeks, back in December during Advent, we all, even it was even in the cultural air, we believed in something, right? There's this good re-enchantment with life. It seemed as if mystery and hope was in the air. Then we put it all in a box. (laughs) 
back in storage and we move on with life as usual. And the question usually percolates back up around this time of year. What do we do with Jesus now? What do we do with Jesus now? When we look around and we see maybe more West Elm than you do uh, figurines that bring us back to moments of God breaking in, what do we do with Jesus now? Do we just put our faith back in that box? Do we return to our plans, to our goals, our dreams, our ambitions, our desires, with Jesus shoved out of the way or in some back corner somewhere? And where do we hope that's going to get us? If we think it's about getting back to life as usual, it kind of gives me chills to think about Jesus, you know, metaphorically packed away in some compartment of our lives. It reminds me of what one older theologian said in a work of fiction where he said, it's always winter, but never Christmas, right? If Jesus is truly just packed away, then all you get is the cold. That's not a world I want to live in. That's not a world we can live in, nor is it the world we were ever meant to live in. And so as we start the new year, we need a better word. Every single one of us needs a better word. And, and one of Jesus' closest friends, John, he meets us here in our text this morning as we begin a new series looking at a better word, a word made flesh, the word made flesh. And over the next couple months, the next few months rather, we're going to see just how better this word is for you and for me and for a collective us. But I don't want to make any mistake because John doesn't, he doesn't let us begin the story at Christmas. He goes way, way back to the beginning. He's very different in how he starts his gospel account from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He goes way back all the way to the beginning. Before the oppression of the Roman Empire in the first century over the nation of Israel, before the exile of Israel, before there even was an Israel, before there was an Abraham, before creation itself, all the way back to the very beginning. And to see that, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 for us once again this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, the question obviously that pops off the page the moment you're reading that, if you don't know what's coming up next, if you're reading this gospel account for the first time, is who is the he to whom John, the gospel account writer, is speaking of? If you jump down to chapter 1, verse 14, it becomes a little clearer. We read, and the word, so this is the same word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. And as you follow the flow of John's gospel account throughout chapter 1, there's no mistaking that the word become flesh to which he is speaking, to whom he is speaking, is referring to a first century Jewish man by the name of Jesus. This is even more explicit as you walk all the way from the through the gospel account to John chapter 20, verse 31, where he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John, who knew Jesus best, who walked with Jesus, who had a personal engagement and friendship with Jesus, he's given himself fully to an exhaustive task here. To tell us the good news, that's the word gospel, is good news, of Jesus and his kingdom come. 
because he knew, and this is important, Jesus is the word we need. We need a better word, and Jesus is the word we need. Now, there's nothing, I, I think, at least in my own life, um, I'm a very relational person, okay? So there's nothing quite like in my life, and maybe you feel this way too, when somebody comes with a really timely word, right? Whether it's a word of encouragement, when I'm feeling super down, that just buoys my spirit. It's like, oh, man, the feeling, the warmth, the joy. Maybe a word of correction, too, that allows me to, okay, set myself back on the right path to help avoid pain for the rest of the year. If nobody would have corrected me, I'd have kept going down this wrong path and I'd have been frustrated at the pain I continued to experience. Or maybe it was a word of wisdom that brought clarity to an obstacle that I couldn't find, you know, the, 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 the clarity to, on my own. Somebody speaking a word of wisdom to me. But I want to be clear, Don, John isn't just saying, wouldn't it be great if his name was Don? Uh, anyway, <laughs> random side, side effect. This is the Christmas and New Year's brain that you've got up here this morning. But John, he's making it clear that this is not just a word from anyone and that you and I don't just need a word from anyone. Because on the one hand, right, when you're stuck, we go looking for a word from someone who is ahead of us, right? They, they've gone where we want to go. And we want to figure out how to go where they went. It's like, how did you get there? And what did you do to get there? Give me the wisdom, the insight, the, the success story that made you where you are. Maybe you're making your goals. Maybe you're thinking of your reading lists, your blogs, your books. And all those folks that you're trying to think through. Okay, who's gone ahead? Who's actually trail or blazed a trail that have done this successfully? How can I look at those who are ahead of me? And if you're looking for someone to make a way for you in life, that's not enough. And that's actually not what John is saying. You can still ruin your life by just looking at all these other people who have gone ahead of you because, frankly, they aren't you. And so what they have done may not necessarily be the right path for you. On the other hand, sometimes when we're dissatisfied with our surroundings and we even get uh, uncertain of the future, which is often, we look to sometimes voices of the past, people who have lived and have died but they've navigated historical situations that were complex with success, right? And with poise and with wisdom. How do they see the world from their vantage point? And how can they help me see my particular context today differently? You're looking for kind of ancient <coughs> wisdom for today's troubles. And even though that's good, as long, as similar to the first path, that those are good, those are helpful, that's not enough. And John is actually not saying that's what he's trying to give us this morning. You can still ruin your life if you just look for great examples in the past. And to be clear, John also isn't saying that we just need a word from Jesus. Like, Jesus, why don't you speak into this? Or Jesus, why don't you speak over that? That's also really good and really well for our lives. But John is saying something so much bigger. You see, John is saying Jesus is the word we need. Not just a word for what we need, but he is the word we need. And that has massive implications, okay? Words in the Bible, let me give you a little bit of landscape. Words in the Bible, they reveal things, okay? They, they pull back the curtain on what is true, what is real. In a, in a world that is constantly promoting this is what's true, this is what's going to bring you pleasure, this is what's going to bring you hope, this is what's going to bring you comfort. The words in the Bible are meant when God speaks, he is revealing what is good, he's revealing what's evil, he's revealing what's destructive, he's revealing what's holy, what's unique, what's beautiful, what's distorted. In other words, when God speaks, he reveals life. The life we long for. Every single one of us in here is longing for life. 
the life he's designed, the life he created, the life he's given us, that he's breathed into us, the life he longs for us to experience to the full. Jesus himself says, I've come to give you life. And what? Life abundant. And that life has its very source in him, in God from eternity past. And so every time God speaks, we get a window into who God is. Do you ever think about that? When you're reading scripture, every time God speaks, you get a unique window into his heart, his mind for you and for the world. His word is a powerful self-expression. And we, we see this in our relationships with other people, right? Anytime a friend opens their mouth, you're learning something about them, you know? That's why the Proverbs say it's better for a fool to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> and uh, the rest of the world consider him wise, but his words do not prove them otherwise, you know? We learn when people speak. We learn about who they are. We learn about how they feel for us. We learn their perspectives on the world. And John is clear that Jesus here is that word of life. He is that life, that word that orders life for flourishing. He is the word that flows from life and has its source in God's eternal life. Jesus is this self-disclosure of God. When we look at Jesus, we see God. And John, unlike the other gospel writers, he states this claim right out the gate. Make no mistake, this is not a story about an exceptional human, full stop. This is a story about the expression of God. This is the story of God himself. Jesus is not a mere prophet coming to give us a word from God about life, but in a very unique once and for all way, he is identical perfectly identical with the word that he has proclaimed. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God himself. Such that when we look and listen and watch Jesus, we see God. Now, when people say this, there's a lot of different ways that people mean what I've just said. Some people think that that means because Jesus was the most exceptional human that we see God. Some people think that Jesus cracked the code on humanity. Some people think that Jesus was just uniquely gifted with kindness and wisdom. If we could just become more like a human like him. Did Jesus receive a special portion of God's presence that empowered him to do this? Now, in many regards, all of those are true, but if that's all that we say of Jesus, we've fallen short. You see, the testimony of both the Old and the New Testament is unanimous, and this is why. Jesus is the word we need because he is God himself. Not mostly God, not partially God, not a portion of God, but as the old creeds and statements of faith have brilliantly communicated, very God of very God, or fully God. The author of Hebrews, he puts it in a similar way to John. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. John's not alone in this perspective. It's not like John fell off his rocker and the rest of the gospel writers are trying to correct him. No, this is the unanimous testimony of all of scripture that Jesus is God. Okay. 
I get excited about this a little bit. So let's, took, let, let's walk through this passage a little bit and see how John is just brilliantly, poetically, thoughtfully laying this out in these first four verses. In the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1. Now, John isn't starting this way because this is a great way to start fairy tales, okay? That's not how he's coming with this particular frame of mind. Hey, great way to start a story is with the beginning. No, 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 no. John, as a Jewish man who sees Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, is actually communicating a hyperlink to the beginning of the Hebrew scriptures back in Genesis. The word Genesis means beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first words are in the beginning. John is saying what he is trying to communicate. He's trying to hyperlink us all the way back to the book of Genesis. And in the beginning, God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And in the beginning, we find God speaking creation into existence, speaking the word of life of chaos over chaos into order and beauty. So in the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. So at the beginning of time, there was the Son of God with the Father. We're beginning to step into the mystery of the Trinity, the triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit, who is simultaneously one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And okay, we're going to stop there for just a second, because in a monotheistic culture, that is a culture, the Jewish culture, that holds to the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Well, you're saying, hey, wait a second. When I look at the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, I see that uh, actually God was alone in the beginning as he's creating. And John says, yeah. <laughs> but he also spoke creation into existence. And there is where we find Jesus. He is the word. He is the self-expression of God there in the very beginning. And listen, in a monotheistic culture, that is either the most blasphemous claim imaginable or this is some of the most astounding news available. This is why to those who were of Jewish descent who did not embrace Jesus as the Messiah saw this as anathema, as terrible, as horrendous. This claim that was at the center of the Christian faith. And then John says it again. I just love the repetition of this particular, these first few verses. He's like, seriously, pay attention. Because John chapter 1, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And actually, everything was made, everything that was made was actually made through Jesus. Then he gets more redundant, right? He's making his point through repetition. Everything that was made was made through him. And there was actually nothing made that wasn't made through him. It's like, John, you're just like saying the same thing, but you said it first and then you said it in the negative. Yes, he's trying to get the point across, the glory, the beauty, the wonder of who this word is. And we're starting to step into the mystery and what lies at the very heart of the Christian faith. You see, Christians have come with an audacious claim that Jesus was not merely a wise political leader who sought to bring about revolution and even God's purposes, and but, but, he died in the pursuit. <laughs> That's my son. <laughs> That's wonderful. At least you're listening. That's a win for me, you know? I could stop now, and life's good. <laughs> Christians and those who know Jesus personally from the beginning, they claimed what Jesus himself claimed, that he was God somehow, physically among them. 
Not that he was one of the gods, but that he is the one God, the true God. The very life that's at the center of God is at the center of Jesus and has always been. And to be clear, Jesus says this about himself. This isn't just John who later started doing some musing and thought, oh, this is an important idea that probably Jesus never meant for himself. No, look with me at John chapter 5, verse 26. So in many ways, what you're seeing here in the prologue of John, you're going to see a lot of these themes playing out as we walk through the gospel account of John. In John chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus himself says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also have life. In himself, the power of life, the source of life in the Son. But then he has the audacity to say what he says in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not just his teaching, but through him, the Word, God. This is why Paul can also write later in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Who is this Jesus? <laughs> Jesus is the word we need because he himself is God. And every time he speaks, he speaks life for us. When he speaks about finances, he speaks life for us. When he speaks into sexuality, he speaks life for us. When he speaks into relationships, he speaks life for us. When he speaks about forgiveness, he speaks life for us. He is the source of life and his very word is consistent with who he is and it's always pursuing our life if we're willing to listen. This is not just one voice among many voices. This is God come to speak life for you and for me. And John doesn't want us to miss this. Like what an astounding opportunity. The words of life from the word of life for our life. Right here. What an extraordinary opportunity. Jesus is the word we need because he is God himself. And please hear me. So much hangs on this. You see, Jesus is God or his word means nothing. Nothing. He's either God or this is nonsense. And if he's God, then he has power and authority to speak over everything. And because of the kind of God he is, he wants to speak life into everything. So we want to hear, and we should hear. It's a both and. But in Islam, let's just walk through the different world religions and dynamics. In Islam, Jesus was not and is not God. He was a prophet, full stop, who spoke truly about God when it falls in agreement with the Quran, which was written hundreds of years later, he didn't die on the cross and he didn't rise again. The central claim to the Christian faith that Jesus is God is blasphemy of the highest order in Islam. Key distinction. To Jehovah's Witnesses, we have kingdom halls here in Kansas City. Maybe you've had somebody walk up to your door, or your loft, and try to hand you a Watchtower magazine. Um, for the Jehovah's Witness, Jesus was not fully God. Jehovah's Witnesses, they actually proclaim a heresy in the history of the church that neither engages the Greek text, which is what John was originally written in. It does not engage the Greek text honestly, nor biblically, biblical theology thoroughly, and proclaims that Jesus was just a God, a kind of demigod, a divine creature. Yeah, the chief of all creatures, but not fully God. To the Mormons, Jesus was not the only God. 
Actually, Jesus is our eldest brother, and we too can become gods and rule our own planets if we just follow in his footsteps. And this interpretation of the Mormon faith is no more than a couple hundred years old because John Smith had a vision here in the United States. But listen, Jesus is God, the only son of God, or his word means nothing. The Mormons' attention to Jesus and their false constantly trying to say that they're just a different kind of Christianity, which is so not true. Jehovah's Witnesses saying they're also another form of Christianity is so not true. Islam saying they're friends with Christianity is so not true because the central claim is not this, that Jesus was a prophet, but that he was God. And this has been crucial from the beginning. And John makes it clear because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John makes it clear there in the first century, someone who knew Jesus walked with them, and what came to define the Christian community and their understanding of Jesus is that he is God. And if Jesus is not God, then how can we have faith in a God who allows the best human that ever lived to be hounded to death on a cross? You see, if Jesus is a mere man, and not God, and if we put God exclusively in heaven, far away dwelling in comfort, how do we believe in him? He's a moral monster who actually wants nothing to do with us. He's a monster who wouldn't even do the slightest thing to help Jesus, the best human who ever lived. But if Jesus is God, then we have a God who left heaven to be with us. This is categorically different. That when we look at the cross, we actually see God come to us to suffer for us. We see in the mystery of the Trinity, the Father sending the Son and the Son agreeing to go for the Father and for humanity and coming to us and through death to find us and then to pay our penalty on the cross as fully God in a way that only God can pay our penalty. As T.F. Torrance writes in his brilliant book, it's Tome on the Incarnation. I'd encourage you, if you look for just some beautifully written theology on God become flesh, this is a great place to go. He says, put God in heaven and Jesus on the cross only as a man, and you destroy all hope and trust and preach a doctrine of the blackest and most abysmal despair. See, if Jesus is not God, his word is no better than the word of anyone else. He's just another one of those human beings trying to figure it out before he's silenced by death then by all means, put Jesus in a box and do whatever the heck you want, okay? Because he's just one voice. But if he's God, then what he says directs for your good. And if you ignore it, you're choosing death. Just know what you're choosing. You're choosing death. And saying, God, I'm gonna listen to them. Not Jesus, thanks for your opinion. God, I'm gonna listen to them and I'm gonna choose death. That's what's at stake here. And when we gather together as God's people, we come pursuing the word of life. And, you know, Jesus, he says some pretty outstanding stuff when he's talking to those who are just wanting to be fed. And he goes, hey, listen, you got to feast on my flesh and you got to drink my blood. And everybody's like, hey, whoa, we're going to get there. And Jesus, he's speaking metaphorically and powerfully. And people start walking away and they're like, this is ridiculous. And then Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, are you going to walk away too? And what do they say? Where else can we go? You have the what? Words of life. Where else can we go? You see, if Jesus is who John says he is, 
If he is who John the Baptist, which is another John, which we'll come to see, said he was. If he is who the scriptures describe him to be. If he is who God the Father at Jesus' baptism declared over him to be. If the stories of him commanding the wind and waves to be silent at his command, which they immediately obeyed, are true. If the stories of the blind receiving sight, the outcast restored, the lame walking are all true. Or even if only just a few of them are true. If you can't go all the way, I, feel, I believe there's good evidence to go all the way. But if you can't go all the way, even if some of them are true, and if Jesus is what his resurrection affirmed him to be, if Jesus is God, then Jesus is the word we need. Always. Because in him is life. What we felt like we lost in 2020, what we hoped for and were sorely disappointed in finding in 2021, and what we desperately need to see in 2022 is life breaking in. If you're here and you want life, then Jesus is the word we need. And so, my charge to us this morning is let Jesus speak life to you. It doesn't matter whether you're here for the first time and you're exploring Jesus or you've been walking with Jesus for years and you're tempted to look elsewhere. And maybe even it feels fine and feels okay to be walking elsewhere because the adrenaline of newness will carry you for a minute, but death is knocking on the door. Let Jesus speak life to you the way only God can. The one through whom all the planets were placed in orbit. The one who imagined fish, like all the different kinds of fish of the sea. The one who conjured up the diverse foliage of the planet. That's what John is making us correlate. In the beginning, God, and he spoke. And yes, this word was with God. And, the, and, and, and through Jesus, all of this was created. This God wants to speak life to you. And so instead, as we enter 2022, instead of asking, what do we do with Jesus now? Maybe we need to ask, Jesus, what do you want to do with me now? If you've got the words of life, what do you want to do with me? I trust you. What, what, can I, what can I give you to give life to? Instead of what do I need to sacrifice to be with? What do I need to give? What, what, give life to this. Give life to that. If you're God and you speak and you bring, give life to this. What is it in your life that you're holding back because you're afraid it's going to feel like a sacrifice, but in reality, God wants to breathe life onto it. You see, John has blown to bits any sort of box we try to put Jesus into and so put him into a corner of our lives. How could we ever think of putting Jesus away? If this is who he is, if this is what he only offers how can we just go on with life as usual? Actually, with Jesus, there isn't usual. Even in the ordinary, we find the miraculous. And there may even be some in here who are wrestling with the very framework of there being a God, let alone that Jesus is God. Rebecca McLaughlin writes in this brilliant little book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? She quotes an Australian author and speaker, Glenn Strivener, when he, when he says, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. I thought that was pretty sharp. But then he actually goes on to say, but the universe has no virgin. So that feels like a bigger mir miracle, um, honestly. We all believe in miracles. Everybody. Every single one of us. In some way, shape, or form. We're, we're building our life 
As much as we want to say we're building it all off of scientific theory or fact and framing it all, we're all basing our life off of some form of miracle. The question is, which one do you choose? Jesus is the miraculous word. And he's the word we all need. He's the word that those who were closest to him when they saw him being crucified fled. But then, three days later, they experienced someone that they said was Jesus who has risen physically such that later when they were told to recant, they rather die horrendous deaths rather than to say they didn't see what they actually said they saw. We saw him alive. That resilient life that was in him because he is the word with God because he was God, he's alive. So yeah, I'll take my life because you can't take my life. <laughs> Because he has my life. He's the word we all need. And that's why this year, one of our focus, one of our foci is to lean into, oh, right, all right. So one of, one of our foci to is this year is to lean into evangelism. I know for some folks in here, that sounds like a dirty word. But if we know the source of life, why wouldn't you want to share him? Like if you have prime rib and you have enough for everybody, and if you're not a meat eater, I apologize. <laughs> if you have some really great asparagus <laughs> and you have enough for everybody, but then you never say, hey, you should come try this asparagus because it's amazing, then that's not being kind. That's just being greedy. We have the source of life. That's why these apostles, that's why these early followers of Jesus went far and wide, not because, you know what, they're going to be fine without Jesus. No, because no one is fine without Jesus because he is the source of life. He is God himself. And when we come to know him, that life breaks in and it carries us through forever. So this isn't guilt that's motivating us. This isn't a desire to manipulate people. This is life, real life, life everlasting that we've been entrusted with, that we've been given, that we can know, that we can taste. And Jesus is the word that we all need. It's the, he's the word that you need, that your neighbor needs, that your coworker needs, that your friends need, that your kids need, that my kids need. So let Jesus speak life to you so that that life can come to others too. Make a commitment to the people of God centered around the word of God that speaks life into us this year. We need a word, and Jesus is the better word we need. Speak, oh God. We're listening. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we step in the beauty of your oneness and yet your threeness that in your divine community you express love one toward another such that you don't need us but it is out of the overflow of your love that you have created us that you might shower more love on more creatures because that's the kind of abundant God you are, the very source of life teeming with life seeking to see more life come to flourishing. May we have that perspective of you. May we come to see Jesus more clearly as the God-man. The one who's come to give us life. And may we give you ours, knowing that they're ultimately yours, seeking that you might <coughs> breathe newness of life into us this year. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. Before we even 
imagined by those around us, you knew us. And thanks for loving us always, even when we make terrible decisions, even when we destroy our neighbors, even when we seek destruction of ourselves, you love us. Thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning and every year. It is in Jesus' name, his authority, we pray these things. Amen.